If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Even though we are this incredibly wealthy and fortunate country, there are plenty of people that are not able to tap services that are needed to make their situations better. So we just want to be able to be there for those communities. Providing water filtration for low-income communities. Retrofitting a community kitchen. Developing eco-friendly, affordable housing. These are just three of the current projects on which nonprofit Engineers Without Borders is working. And those projects have a common denominator. They're all happening right here in the United States. Engineers Without Borders, or EWB for short, currently provides pro bono engineering services to empower communities in 44 countries and 33 states. And if you'd like to help them, they'd like to hear from you. Claire haas Clavel is the Community Engineering Corps Program Director for Engineers Without Borders USA. Claire, how did you first get involved in Engineers Without Borders USA? Well, I, by background, am an engineer, and I had followed Engineers Without Borders from the beginning. I knew that they started back in 2002, and I found it very intriguing. At the time, I wasn't able to get involved as a volunteer staff-wise because I had other things going on. But a job opening came up in 2016 to direct the Community Engineering Corps program, and I jumped. I was so excited to have the opportunity. So that's how I got involved. Do I remember correctly that you're a civil engineer and you've also worked in conservation and the National Wildlife Federation? I am not affiliated with the Wildlife Federation. I actually... My undergraduate degree is in mechanical engineering, so I worked initially in heating and ventilation, which (laughs) was not my calling, and so I went back to grad school and got my civil and environmental degree, and from there, I really gravitated into the water arena, so I worked as a consultant over a number of years and also with the American Water Works Association, so I spent quite a bit of time there. And you work as director of one of, if I'm not mistaken, three extremely cool branches of Engineers Without Borders USA, the Community Engineering Corps. Correct, right. Engineers Without Borders has three programs. Two of them focus on international programming. But I was drawn to the Community Engineering Corps because I really believe that there's a lot that we can do right in our, our backyard. And the engineers that we work with, What's nice, too, about the Community Engineering Corps program is within our network, if our volunteers are working on overseas projects, those can take a long time. They tend to be, you know, four, five, six years or more, but there's a lot of time in between where they're not engaged in that particular project. So I think Community Engineering Corps and the projects that we find provide a great, you know, opportunity for them to be working close to home to stay engaged with the organization and then also do great work here at home, too. Let's talk about those projects, because until I heard you mentioned by one of the guests that I talked with earlier, Samantha Snaves, I did not know that we had Engineers Without Borders in the United States. And that's not unusual that people don't know that. Our program is just celebrating its fifth year. So we've really been, you know, really after last year, we came out of our piloting. And and I'll mention, too, that what's unique about Trinity Engineering Corps is it's Engineers Without Borders, 
that supports it, as well as the American Waterworks Association and the American Society of Civil Engineers. So we have these three great engineering associations that support the program, and we're able to pull volunteers from each of those. So the projects that we engage in cover the civil engineering spectrum, and we do tend to focus on infrastructure projects. So about half of our projects now are water-related, so we're doing things particularly in rural communities where their capacity is limited either to the population being small or they just don't have the technical people in place. So we find that we're able to do quite a bit of work in that arena. And then with our students, our students tend to be in more urban areas, and we, we get a lot of agricultural urban garden-type projects where they're instrumental in making sure that there's water available. So there's, you know, storage of the rainwater, and also some of them are going so far as to put in solar installations so that the pumps can run remotely, too, just based on solar power. Oh, how cool is that? Wow. I was also blown away when I looked at your page at some of the different things you're doing that I wouldn't have thought of for engineering. You have, I think, a playground in Anchorage, and it looks like you also have a smart city you're going to be building. And I wish I remembered, I want to say St. Louis, but I'm not sure. Right. Yeah, so the the playground up in Alaska, that came through our volunteers up there. One of them was involved, I believe, on the board of the Salvation Army homeless shelter that's there. And just in talking about what, you know, they might be able to work on together, the Salvation Army said, well, we do house families here, but there's really no play area that works for the kiddos. And so, you know, it it sounds like that wouldn't be a big deal to put a playground in, but they had an area that had drainage issues. They also needed to make sure that whatever they put in place met permitting and safety requirements. So the engineering role there was pretty critical and they were able to pass along those plans, and then the Salvation Army was, was looking for funding to get that built. So, yeah, it is a, you know, people don't always know <laughs> where engineering is needed, but it's really needed in so many different places. And it is, this is an opportunity for our engineers to work on something that they may not be doing in their regular jobs. I don't think too many of our engineers are, in their day jobs, are building playgrounds, but this is an opportunity where they could do something like that. And then the other project, we have not been able to start that one yet, but yes, the request came in from East St. Louis, and they are looking to really, you know, make themselves as energy independent as possible. So we're still trying to find those energy engineers that could help out in that arena. What if an energy engineer is listening right now or somebody that wants to get involved? What would they be looking at as far as a volunteer commitment? Right. So that's a really good question, and we like to make sure our volunteers understand that it is a longer-term commitment. You know, our projects tend to run, you know, 9, 12 months or longer. In some cases, they can run quite a bit longer. We can only work at the pace of the community. So we, we are community-driven, meaning that the applications come directly from communities, and we have criteria that we use to determine that they are truly underserved, meaning that they wouldn't be able to access traditional engineering services otherwise. So, and once those projects come in, then we will advertise them. So if there's an engineer out there that's listening that's interested, we would want them to get in touch with us, and we could get them involved. Right now, the avenues to get involved are by joining one of the three organizations, as I mentioned, either Engineers Without Borders, AWWA, or ASCE. And the reason we require that membership is we do carry professional liability for our volunteers. 
which is critical in the engineering arena when we work in the U.S. We want to make sure that we're keeping them safe. And then as far as commitments, it's really going to depend upon the project. That particular energy project is probably going to be a bigger commitment, and we would probably be looking for someone who's local to that area because there will be quite a bit of regulatory and permitting requirements, so having knowledge of what's going on in St. Louis, Missouri, you know, those regional areas would be critical too. So, and then, you know, really from there we provide training, we provide support from staff, so we try to make it, you know, as easy as possible for our volunteers to get involved. And if they don't want to be involved in a project, if they're finding that they can't be on location or they don't have as much time, we have review committees too. And we're typically looking for more seasoned professionals for those committees. Everything that we send out the door, so to speak, to our communities goes through a quality review. So we have a couple of committees that we like to have our seasoned professionals on to review the work products before they're delivered. I'm back on the local engineer who might want to get involved with a smart city because this sounds like such a neat project. Suppose that she gets involved in one of your three organizations. Suppose she qualifies. Now, is this a full-time, 40-hour-a-week time commitment? Is she working her job and then working this on the weekends? How does that work? No, it, it is a volunteer position. So we would be, and we set that expectation with our communities as well. We let them know that our volunteers are engaged in full-time jobs. So I would say, you know, on average, depending upon where we're at within the project, they may be working 10 to 20 hours a month, maybe a little bit more, and then they might see a month or two where there's very minimal work while they're waiting for, you know, approvals or things of that nature. So, you know, it it really covers the spectrum, but I would say typically for someone who wants to work on a project team, they should plan on 10 hours a month minimal and that would be outside of their everyday job. That being said, we do have volunteers who are supported by their companies, and they're allowed to do some of this volunteer work during their daytime hours too, which we think is a great way to go. And we encourage our employers that, like our model, we encourage them to get their employees involved too. Before we go on, let's be sure and give your link for either the engineer or perhaps an employer who'd like to get their staff involved to find out more. All of our information is on our website, which is www.communityengineeringcore.org, or they can send an email to our information email, which is cecinfo at ewb-usa.org. So those would be two ways they can get in touch with us. cecinfo at ewb-usa.org. As an engineer, what has been your best creative problem-solving challenge so far in your time there? For me, you know, directing the program, I'm not doing the direct engineering. You know, the volunteers are. So my role is really to make sure that I'm making the process as understandable and I don't want to say easy, but I want to be sure that if our volunteers are are running into obstacles, that we can get around those quickly for them. So let me think. You know, as far as being creative, that's a good question. (laughs) I Sometimes I feel like what engineers consider creative isn't like, you know, what an artist would consider creative. But we're always looking at ways to automate things. So I feel like we've got some systems in place to help automate the process. So we get creative in that way where... For example, we have an online platform that we call Volunteer Village where when our volunteers come to us and they want to be involved, we have them fill out their profile within Volunteer Village. 
And then once they're in that, it's really, you know, we have, you know, automated things that will send them reminders or we're using a chat feature within that to, to keep them going. I feel like that's a creative way rather than just sending emails or being on the phone. We have this digital platform that allows us to, in creative ways, get things done. I love that. That certainly is a much more engaging way than having email. What about the outreach program that you have? You had one called What's in My Backyard campaign. What is that? Yes, we're really excited about this. So as I mentioned earlier, we're a young program, and, you know, we're really just at the cusp of communities and our volunteers knowing that this is in place. But we thought if we could put a campaign on, we could really get the word out more quickly. So we applied for funding through the United Engineering Foundation last year and received a very generous grant to put this campaign in place. And really what we're, what we're looking to accomplish within this is help our volunteers to find things locally that they'd like to do. So it's an education campaign we're going to have six modules that they'll, you know, volunteers can walk through. They'll be short, you know, five-minute engaging videos that talk about projects we've done, how previous volunteer teams have found nonprofit groups or, you know, other ways to connect within the community and then present themselves as a resource to provide those engineering needs to, to help advance local infrastructure solutions. So, Again, you know, these videos will be engaging and will point them to more resources to make sure they feel prepared as they go out and present themselves as a resource. And ultimately, we're hoping that it culminates in more projects that we're managing, and then we'll be able to to measure that impact across the U.S. How much fun you must be having in designing all of these. (laughs) It is. It is. Because we're just in the filming process now, so to get out and engage with our volunteers that are so excited about what they're doing... It's just great to get them on film and capture what they're doing. And we've also been able to engage with some of the community members, too, and to hear them talking about how they wouldn't have been able to get to the next steps without that engineering piece. It's just a great part of the story. So we hope to be able to share those, you know, with more people that are interested in our program. So, And then we're also inviting minority engineering associations to join us in this campaign as well. So we've reached out to the National Society for Black Engineers, the Society of Women Engineers, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers to join us in this. And so we're hoping that, you know, their membership will be interested too so that we, you know, are inclusive and that they can see what we're doing and join in our platform as well. But Claire says you don't necessarily have to be an engineering professional if you'd like to help them make a difference. We're open to anyone who wants to join Again, our only limitations is is that they're enthusiastic about our programs and that they're willing to join the organization through through a membership. And then they get to join all the great work we're doing. Volunteers from just about any field are welcome. And those from the educational and legal areas could be especially helpful. Especially for work in the U.S., we do have legal considerations. So we have a legal review committee with, it's a bit of a rolling roster, but we've got attorneys that we rely on for their counsel. So that's a way for an attorney to get involved. As far as other professionals, we, we are always encouraging of other people to get involved. You know, obviously we're providing engineering services, but I don't have a great answer for that. But I would encourage anyone that's interested to get in touch with us and we'll see what we can do to make a match for them and utilize their skills. Who are you seeing come in as volunteers and how are they most helpful? So 
I would say that the majority of the volunteers that we're seeing right now have civil engineering degrees or are affiliated with the civil engineering works in some fashion. That being said, we also have mechanical engineers. We have had architects also join us too. Sometimes we need architects on projects that we're doing if they're structural. There are opportunities where EWB right now is going through and creating a lot of educational type modules. So if there are people that are teachers, those are probably the most popular, but I would encourage, we encourage, you know, a diverse group of volunteers. So we have students, we have, you know, early career professionals all the way through seasoned professionals and retirees. And as far as what their backgrounds are, again, we, you know, we look for opportunities for anyone that's interested in our mission and vision. I think a lot of people, when they first hear Engineers Without Borders, they think young people, but it sounds like somebody in my age group, somebody who's a storyteller, you were talking about the materials you're making, probably a couple of the filmmakers I know might be able to contact you through an email, and you might be finding work for them as well. Yes, I would agree with that. What kind of obstacles might you expect to run into as you're implementing pro bono engineering services and solving community problems? Yeah, well, I think just by the nature of being volunteers and forming volunteer teams, you know, everyone starts with their best intentions, but this is above and beyond people's regular jobs, you know, and life happens. So sometimes our project teams, they may start out with a larger team, but as the project progresses, they may lose one or two people due to, you know, certain circumstances, but we always encourage them to get back in touch with staff to see if we can help recruit more professionals to join their team. Also, at the community level, you know, we have to keep in mind that these communities, they themselves have much more going on than the project that we're working on. So sometimes we've had project teams get involved, they get halfway through the project, and perhaps there's a change at the community level. The key person or stakeholder that was there has left. They've gone on to another opportunity or, you know, for various reasons. So that can be a setback then. Sometimes it takes a while to find a new stakeholder that's willing to keep the project moving. And that can be frustrating because our volunteers obviously want to make a difference in what they're doing. So, again, we just encourage them to reach out to us. We do the best we can. But sometimes we do have to walk away, you know, at the, at the, just based on what's going on within the community as well. At this point, with the Community Engineering Corps, what do you need very most, and how can people best support you hearing this? We need interested volunteers that want to work locally. The word is getting out that these services are available and applications are coming in for our services. And we, one of our goals is to be able to have volunteers in place within three months of the request. And right now, that's a little bit of a challenge for us because we don't have enough volunteers. So I would just say if you're an engineer or, you know, a technical professional that would like to join us, we would really encourage you to find out more. What would you consider has been one of the most rewarding experiences you've had so far working with Engineers Without Borders USA, specifically with the Community Engineering Corps? You know, there's a number, if we wanted to use an example, there is a rural community in Ohio. In fact, the story is on our website. And I know that our volunteers that we put in place were very excited to work with them, but they realized quickly that this was a small rural community that didn't have a whole lot of options. And they were concerned that no matter what 
engineering alternatives they gave them, the community wasn't going to be able to do much with it because it was an aging community that, you know, a lot of those folks were on fixed income. So generating money to improve their, it was a sanitation system that they were looking to improve. It was going to be very limited. But after they turned in the report, they found out, you know, just through continued networking, they found out that the community was able to apply for grant funding and received over a million dollars to put towards the work that our engineers had recommended. And now that community is able to move forward. So it's just a story like that, where you know, just working with the, the volunteers, seeing them go through their ups and downs of the project, and then wondering if their work was even worthwhile. To find that out was, I thought, very rewarding, and I was happy to facilitate that process. That is fantastic. We haven't said much of anything yet about the agricultural projects you're doing, and we briefly touched on the fact that half of your projects have to do with clean water systems. What's one of the agricultural projects and then one of the ones in which you're renewing sustainable water systems for a community? There is an agricultural project in New Orleans that our Engineers Without Borders professional chapter there has been working with for a number of years. It's called GrowDAS, and it's a, they set this up in one of the large parks within New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. And it's actually a youth leadership program. So kids come there after school to work. So it's a working farm. They're raising crops and just doing some really amazing things. And obviously, you can imagine that the youth that they're, you know, incorporating into the program don't really have places to go after school otherwise. So what our engineers helped with was siting this particular area, helping with stormwater control and doing soil testing. They were concerned that perhaps you know, with development in previous years that there might have been contamination, but our engineers were able to really provide counsel for them and help with those initial plans. So now the site is built out and it's functioning. They continue to act in a consulting way to them anytime there is some engineering need that comes up. If there's new permitting, I know that the GrowDat farm is looking to grow, so they were looking at additional fields, and our engineers stepped in again on that. So that's one example of how our volunteers have helped out for an agricultural project. As far as clean drinking water, you know, again, the story I just told about the system in Ohio, that was sanitation, but we have similar stories, you know, for rural systems, you know, across the U.S. in drinking water where they may not be meeting regulations and need some assistance in, in how to do that. So, again, our volunteers come in and provide you know, recommended alternatives. One story I could give you is in California, they're in the Salinas Valley, which, you know, is really where a lot of our fruits and vegetables come from. There are migrant communities that over time have become more permanent, and they're on drinking water wells, but those wells have become contaminated over the years with nitrates. So they're no longer able to use that as a drinking water source. So our engineers went out to six communities there to get some recommended alternatives, you know, and that crossed the range from, you know, do they dig another well, a big expense, and not even know if they're going to have safe drinking water there when they get to it. You know, putting in treatment was an option. But again, these are migrant communities. These folks are working two or three jobs to get by. They don't really have the capacity to run their own water facility. But then there was also a third option, which included tying into 
larger systems that might be a mile or two miles away. And that was the recommended alternative. So again, we're, you know, that those systems now are looking at funding to implement that, and that's all based on our engineering report. As we look towards the future, where would you really like to grow the Community Engineering Corps? Well, our executive director at EWB would like, you know, a project in every state and every community, but again, that's dependent upon our volunteers. But right now, we've made it into 33 states. We would love to see projects in all 50 states. So I would say, you know, with our, and that's part of the reason why we're launching the What's in My Backyard campaign. We just want people to know that, you know, even though we are this incredibly wealthy and fortunate country, there are plenty of people that are not able to tap services that are needed to make their situations better. So we just want to be able to be there for those communities. As we wrap up here, Claire, if people can only get one thing from you as an engineering professional and as someone involved in these communities about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want them to take away from your work? Oh, that's a tough one. I would just say, you know, whether you have an hour or, you know, 15 hours a month, you can make a difference. I think engineers just drive so much impact, you know, whether it's within our day jobs or whether it's through volunteer work, we can make a difference. And I would just say, you know, thank you to all the engineers that have volunteered and those that are considering us. Claire, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Dot. I appreciate it. You and I have been listening to Claire haas Claveau, Community Engineering Corps Program Director of Engineers Without Borders USA. To find out more about volunteer opportunities with the CEC, you can contact them at communityengineeringcorps.org or send an email to cecinfo at ewb-usa.org. Once again, you can contact them at communityengineeringcorps.org or email cecinfo at ewb-usa.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.